People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. We're back for Premier League Insights and it's game week 10. We're now a quarter of the way through the season and the gaps will soon begin to appear throughout the Premier League table. To help analyse the upcoming fixtures, I'm joined by Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. How's it going, Jake? Very good, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to another week of Premier League football. It was a good week last weekend. There's a lot of talking points. Yeah, I can't quite believe we're actually 10 games in nearly. So it's, it's, it's flying by, but we'll jump in straight into the fixtures. So first up, we've got Southampton versus Leicester, and we seem to say the same thing about Southampton every week, but last week it was another game where they won the XG battle but failed to come away with the three points. They limited Wolves to three or four shots, I think it was, the only one of which was on target was the the penalty that Wolves scored from. So I guess it's a positive when you're consistently putting in good, good performances, but they do need to start getting results pretty soon. Um, Leicester, on the other hand, they've they've been a bit fortunate this season. They were billed as a top six contender and they do currently sit in third. However, despite a strong back line, they've been pretty poor going forward and they only just about got the win against Burnley and actually still lost on XG as well. So what does the InfoGoal model think here? Can Southampton put in another decent performance and actually get those three points? Yeah, it's, it's getting a bit repetitive, isn't it, what we're saying about Southampton? It is literally every week where they are playing really well, creating good chances um, and failing to pick up the three points. Unsurprisingly, they've not really moved in our XG table after that game against Wolves in which they arguably should have won according to expected goals. Um, They still sit sixth in our XG table. So they are one of the biggest underperformers so far this season in the Premier League. Um, Where do they sit in the actual table? They're down in, you know, they're just just above the relegation zone. So they're 17th, the sixth in the XG table. So there's clearly... um, you know, at some point, if they continue playing the way they are, then results will turn around. Similar to what we were saying about Everton before they got that win against West Ham, um, it is just a matter of time. And if it isn't, if it doesn't happen, then they probably will go down as one of the most unlucky teams in in Premier League history since we've been re- recording this XG data. Um, they're averaging 1.7 expected goals for per game, so they've got no issues going forward. Obviously, Danny Ings is on a hot streak at the minute. He's, he's I think, he's scored in four consecutive Premier League games. So he'll be one to watch in this game for sure. Um, and defensively, you know, they're, they're not they're allowing chances, but they're not uh, allowing them to the rate where you'd be really worried for um, for Southampton in a relegation terms. Um, as for Leicester, you know, they're almost not quite the flip side of, of Southampton to such an extent. But um, like you mentioned, they're third in the table. But they're actually tenth in the XG table. So uh, while while they are fulfilling that early season promise of gate crashing the top four on the actual table, the underlying performances haven't been um, haven't been as good as what as what you'd expect to see from uh, a Leicester team with so much talent in there. You mentioned that the defensive process has been pretty strong. You know they're averaging just one point two four expected goals against per game, so they're not giving up too many chances. But going forward, they've actually ranked as the second worst attacking team in the league, uh, behind only Newcastle. They're only averaging 1.08 expected goals for, which, for all the tools that they've got, you know, you think of Harvey Barnes, Madison, Perez, Jamie Vardy, Yuri Tillemans, you'd expect them to be doing much more um, going forward. 
And that was the case again against Burnley. They scored two goals from low probability chances. You could argue that they, I mean, Burnley on XG, they were unfortunate not to get um, at least a point from the game. And, and they had a late goal disallowed, which was, you could say, dubious due to the VAR, uh, VAR call. So Leicester were fortunate to get the three points in that one. So coming into this game, we've got a team that's underperforming massively, taking on a team that is overperforming um, by quite a bit. So obviously the market is looking at this from an actual perspective and seeing Leicester in third, travelling to face Southampton in uh, in 17th or 18th. So Infragol is unsurprisingly um, looking at this from a completely different perspective. We're seeing Southampton in sixth in the XG table versus Leicester in 10th in the XG table adding the home advantage um, and you've got quite a considerable margin um, for a Southampton win. So the market's around 31%. Uh, Infogol's looking at 41% of a, of a home win. So we're trusting in the process, um, continuing to do what they're doing in Southampton. Results will come and we think it could be this week where they finally get their season up and running. Yeah, completely flip the market on its head, it seems. I think Potentially, there's some, some people out there that might make the case that Leicester's attack, they've kind of had a mix of games where they've been playing elite teams where they might have to kind of sit back and defend. And then obviously a, a team like Burnley, the onus is on them to try and break them down. Maybe a team like Southampton that are that do play on the front foot could potentially play to Leicester's advantage, maybe? Yeah, there's every chance of that. Um, but you would almost say that teams like Liverpool, Tottenham, um, they played Chelsea, Manchester United. They're sort of teams that play on the front foot also. And Leicester's XG numbers in those games have actually been pretty poor. So um, when 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 going toe-to-toe with the big teams, while on, on paper people will look at it and suggest, oh, it suits them, they can play on the counter-attack. Leicester don't play like that anymore. Leicester want to keep get the ball down, um, keep possession, dominate the ball and create chances that way. Um, and when it does go almost toe-to-toe, like the Liverpool game, for example... Leicester just got absolutely brushed aside. And obviously Southampton aren't up to the same standard as Liverpool. But I'm not expecting Leicester to go there and, and have it all their own way against Southampton. Um, and if you want a safer a safer bet, um, I guess just, just opposing Leicester, just taking Southampton or the draw would be um, also value. But in this case, we've got such a, a huge amount of value in Southampton to get the win um, that, that that is a selection for this one. But it, is, it surely is just a matter of time for the, for the Saints um, if they keep putting these performances, the results w- will come. It is, it is just surely a matter of time. They just need to trust in the process, trust in Haas and Hootle, um, and give him give him the time that's required. Right, next up we've got Manchester City versus Aston Villa, and we obviously know what we're going to get with Manchester City in terms of their attacking process. It's by far and away the best in the league. The concerns for them are obviously at the back. I still quite, quite can't believe the, the stat you came out of last week about the big chances that they've given away, and then even... In their last match, they had to play with two central midfielders as centre-backs. So they're coming up against an Aston Villa team who their numbers from the weekend probably look good in that win against Brighton, but they were playing against 10 men for an hour. So you're going to expect them to create plenty of chances. Similarly to Manchester City, the worry for Villa is in defence. And I guess an away fixture against what is the best attacking team in the league is, is, is as difficult as it's going to get. So City are obviously massive favourites here, but... Do you see any value in the goals market, maybe? Yeah, that's that's definitely where we're looking. Um, the 1x2 market's about 87% chance for City winning, for goals about 85%. So it's not too far behind, um, showing that you know there is just a huge gulf between these two teams. It says it all, Aston Villa 25-1 to 1 to go there and get the win. 
Um, obviously, we saw Wolves go there and get the win. Uh, they were about 23 to 1, so um, it is possible. But yeah, you mentioned it there. It is literally how do you solve Man City's defensive problem? Well, quite simply, you just play two central midfielders at centre back. So like Pep Guardiola is, um, you know, he is a genius. He'll find a way of doing doing those sorts of things and, and making them, you know, pulling them off. It did it did suit them though playing two central midfielders because not only do you get, um, you know, the confidence that they bring. Obviously, Otamendi's confidence is probably shot uh, from his recent poor performances. You get the confidence, but you also get the ball progression that um, Fernandinho and Rodri offer. So when they do get on the ball, not only are they really comfortable and accepting of the ball, they can start the attacks much better than an Otamendi can, um, which obviously not only improves the defensive process because they're you know they're quite disciplined it also improves their attacking process and, and how easy it is for them to break teams down and we saw that against Crystal Palace they wrecked up 3.8 expected goals and uh yeah I had a couple of people saying oh is that Man City's biggest XG total of the season I was like no that's pretty close to their average actually um which is just frightening for everyone else involved you know that they're up at 3.2 expected goals per game average um, and they face in a Villa side here who are allowing 1.9. So, you, you, you know, just looking at the raw numbers, you'd be expecting City to at least match that average in this match, you know, if not beat it. Um, yeah, no issues going forward in attack. Their non-penalty chances, big chances conceded is now up to 15 because they did allow one against Crystal Palace. So 15 in nine matches, which is, you know, that is quite it's still quite a staggering stat. Um, and Aston Villa have shown that they are capable um, on the attacking end to cause teams problems. But um, you've got to caveat that with the fact that they've played Norwich and Brighton. So, you know, it's a different, completely different proposition. They do deserve some credit, Aston Villa, because, they, you know, they, things were looking very bleak after that 3-2 uh, defeat to Arsenal where they threw away a 2-1 lead. But since then, they've, um, you know, they've got a good point against Burnley and then they've beaten Norwich and Brighton, two teams who many would be expecting to be in and around them come the end of the season. So credit where credit's due. They, you know, they've done their job. They've, they've climbed the table now. They're up to 12th. They're, you know, put some distance between themselves and the relegation zone for now. Um, I can't see that continuing. While they are creating good chances, you know, they've racked, they themselves have racked up over three expected goals in the last two matches. Um, but defensively, they still look extremely vulnerable. they they're allowing 1.91, as I said before. Um, and this really is just a, a case of how many. I, I think um, it's complete contrast to the Wolves game um, against Manchester City, where we were saying beforehand that Wolves were a team that had got a really good process and they were performing really well. They caused the big teams troubles. Um, Aston Villa are completely the opposite of that. Against the big teams so far, they have they have struggled, especially defensively. And, and I can't see anything changing in this game. Like you said, we're looking at the goals market. There's no value in the in the overs or unders. So we're looking at both teams to score and specifically both teams to score. No, um, we think what we've seen from Manchester City so far uh, defensively, you know, it's not been that impressive. But we're not expecting Villa to cause them too many problems in this game. It's going to be a game dominated by City, um, and it should be wave after wave of attack. So we're going both teams to score. Now we're giving that a 59% chance, which represents a small amount of value compared to what's on offer. Yeah, interesting tactic, the the two centre mids at the back. I mean, I don't know how much of it was tactical or how much it was driven by injuries and whatnot, but I guess if you if you keep the ball, your opponent doesn't have it, they can't create any chances. Right, next game we've got Brighton versus Everton, and as we just said, the early red card clearly impacted the Aston Villa-Brighton game, and 
but if you look beyond that, I guess it's Brighton. They've been pretty decent this season. I know you're a big fan of Graham Potter. Um, as for Everton, they were up there with Leicester as one of the most hyped-up teams in the, in pre-season. They looked okay to start with, despite not getting any results, but they did put in a really good performance against West Ham, and they're going to hope to continue that this weekend. So is this a game where you think we see Everton put put a run together and, and get closer to that top six, or do you think Brighton have the edge with home field advantage? Yeah, we're, we're, we're siding with Everton in this one. We think that they... You know, we mentioned last week that their process has been really impressive and it was just a matter of time. And, and you know, they, they looked really good against West Ham. Um, and I do quite fancy them to get on a run now. But we'll start off with Brighton because I was really disappointed with them against Aston Villa. You know, they dominated the game for half an hour. Aaron Moyes made a few silly decisions. And then, um, although they still tried to keep the ball and play good football, they, they were just conceding chance after chance. And, you know, in in, in the Premier League, those sorts of games against your fellow relegation battlers, they're big games. And when you go one nil up and you're down to ten men, sometimes you just got to you just got to hold your line, defend, and and just try and sneak a one nil. Um, and Brighton didn't do that. You know, the, the goal at the end has come from a a quick um, a quick knock up field, trying to get. I think it was Conley who was chasing that, chasing it down, um, trying to hit Villa on the counter attack, and you know they've they've ended up being done with the sucker punch. So. A little bit of a learning curve there for, for, for Graham Potter from my perspective anyway. I think they could have probably dealt with that a little bit better going down to 10 men. They'll be looking forward to coming back at home, definitely. Um, they've only lost one once so far this season at home, which um, I believe came against Southampton. The other two games, uh, prior to the Spurs game, they were really impressive. They won the XP battle on both counts and were unfortunate not to win. And obviously the, the Spurs game is, is you know it's probably the biggest indicator of, of this match in particular, because Everton are pretty close to Spurs level, um, especially this season anyway, in terms of process. And we saw what Brighton did to them. So they can't be written off um, at all coming into this game. But I'm a little bit worried about their um, their defensive process, which hasn't been picking up recently. Uh, excluding the Spurs game, they've allowed you know, over, over one and a half XG in, in all the matches so far this season. 1.6 is the average that they're, they're allowing. So Everton will take great confidence in, in seeing what Villa did to them last last week um, and thinking that they can do exactly the same. Marco Silva got a little bit of a reprieve, you could say. Um, it was baffling to me that Andre Gomez wasn't playing for the majority of the season. I know he had an injury, but he'd been on the on the bench for the, last, for the previous two or three games. It's baffling that he wasn't playing. He came on, he ran the show against West Ham, uh, protected the ball really well, sprayed it around. Dribble Sadibi um, looked really impressive for Everton down the right-hand side. Um, him and Gomez seem to have a really good connection. Every time Gomez got the ball, he was just putting it into his pass. Um, Alex Wobie looked really good in the, in the 10. And, you know, Marco Silva, he, he deserves a little bit of credit. He changed things around. Um, I think he made five changes in total. Uh, and it paid off. They were absolutely, utterly dominant against West Ham. 2.63 to 0.63 on the XG battle. Um, and, you know, before Sigurdsson's late, Second, you could argue Everton were really unfortunate not to be, you know, comfortably in 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 front. They were, like I said, utterly dominant, and it was a performance we sort of we could see coming. They've ranked so high on XG, the performances have been so solid. Um, you know, after that game, they they sit fifth in the XG table. So they're, um, you know, they keep playing the way they are. They will continue to climb the table. Uh, like I said, the underlying process is really strong. One point seven going forward, and one point two in defence. So. They are performing like a, um, a top six 
challenger, um, especially with what we've seen from the other top six teams so far this season. So um, we're fancying the Everton to to kick on from that that win against West Ham, and we're, we're giving them a a 47% chance of getting the win, which is actually a huge amount of value compared to what's available. I think the market's around 37%. So um, Everton to win um, is a huge value bet this weekend. Yeah, I mean, the market seems very close on Pinnacle. We got Brighton at 35%, the draw around 28%. And and as you said, Everton 36, 37. The goals market, 2 and 2.5 also suggests that it could be a close game. But you're right in that this could be the one that Everton really sort of get their season going. Right, so we'll move on to our next game, and that's Watford versus Bournemouth. Obviously, Watford's still winless after the 1-1 draw with Tottenham. They started quite well in that game, and towards the end, obviously, Tottenham edged it on XG, but it's it's hard to make a case for either team winning that game, really. Um, Bournemouth, I think they they made me look a bit silly last week. I said I, said I liked them because they're very consistent. They create plenty of chances. They give away plenty of chances, but that just wasn't the case against Norwich. I think the combined XG for that match was just about over one um, and they've got to be doing better than that against what is the worst defence in the league so is there any is there any value here in Watford getting their first win of the season do you think? No, no we, we've not got any value we, we make them favourites to win the game uh, 40% but compared to, in, in terms of a value bet um, we're not seeing too much value um, in backing Watford and that stretches back to the back end of last season where the process was terrible under Javi Gracia as they were building up to that FA Cup final. So, um, yeah, their, their, pro, their rating on, our, on InfoGoals ratings are is still really low, which is why you, you're perhaps not getting the, the shorter price here. But, you know, they, they, obviously they, they've had the 8-0 defeat, which was, you know, that rocked the boat big time after, after what was such a good performance against Arsenal. Um, and since then, they've slowly been improving week on week on week. So, like I said, with Southampton and Everton, I think it will be a matter of time before they get their first win. They, you know, they were okay, they were pretty good against Wolves. They were unlucky not to get all three points against Sheffield United. If you take away Deli Alley's chance, um, you know, in the Tottenham game, they win the XG battle comfortably. They held Tottenham to very little in that game. Obviously, they got the early goal and then. Again, I, I mean, it doesn't reflect on, on, on XG, but the penalty that wasn't given on Delafeu was would have perhaps been a game-changer. If they'd have scored that, they'd have gone 2-0 up. Um, so the, the, the signs are there that Watford are, are slowly finding the feet under uh, Kike Sanchez-Flores, and I'm expecting them to slowly start climbing the table. Um, and in this game, we've got Watford, who sit in 12th in the XG table. So their underlying performances have been really impressive. Um, compared to the actual results. And Bournemouth, who sits 16th in the XG table, so sort of the two teams have flipped around, if you like. But Watford's main issue has been converting the chances. They've you know, they've scored just five goals in nine games, which is extremely low for a team that has got, you know, they were free scoring to um, uh, across most of last season. Um, but the five goals have come from just from chances for equating to 12.5 XG. So, Basically, that means that we we would expect them to have scored at least twelve goals at this stage, based on the quality of chances that they've um, that they've had, which is the main reason why they sat down at the bottom of the table and they're not in mid table. But if they keep creating the chances, then you know the results will come for Watford. Um, perhaps maybe not in this game, but in in future games. But this is a great opportunity for them because, like you said, Bournemouth have been very underwhelming recently. Um, they came off that really good winning streak of was it three or four games drew with West Ham arguably unfortunate and they went to Arsenal 
and the games against Arsenal and Norwich have been really almost anti-Bournemouth as to what we've seen over the last three or four years. You know, 1-0 and 0-0, they're just score lines that you just wouldn't associate with Bournemouth. Um, but, the, you know, they've been deserved score lines based on the XG, so they've not created good chances recently and they've not conceded too many chances recently, which is, you know, obviously, we like you said, you, you mentioned it last week that you expect Bournemouth to score loads of goals and concede loads of goals. And, you know, the XG totals recently have been the exact opposite which is a little bit of a worry. And, and I'm sure Eddie Howell's be scratching his head as to why that is, is happening and why it's happening now. Um, yeah, you mentioned the, the game last week. Uh, I think I said to oppose goals in that one. Um, it was on, oppose the overs and both teams score as, as they were just extremely short on the market. They were around 70% apiece. Um, we're advising the opposite in this game. We're, we're, we're expecting goals this time around um, and we've you know there's value in back in uh, the goals market over two over three and a half sorry we're not looking at over two and a half we're looking at over three and a half where we found um, a little bit of value we're expecting Bournemouth to get back to their usual um, chaotic selves creating plenty of opportunities and, and Watford will probably see this as a game where they can um, open Bournemouth up and likewise, Bournemouth will be able to, will, will be looking at this and thinking, right, we need to win this game. This team's bottom of the league. We need to make a statement and put ourselves a little bit clearer. So we're expecting an end-to-end game. We're a 45% chance of over 3.5 goals, which represents a small amount of value to what's on offer. So, um, yeah, hopefully this is going to be an entertaining one. Otherwise, I'm going to look silly next week. Well, I could do with some entertainment. So hopefully the, the Bournemouth of a few weeks back at last season, they, they return and we see some goals and no one looks silly. Right, so the next game we've got West Ham versus Sheffield United and I mean we've been saying this for a while on here, West Ham's performances they've been they've been very poor and a few fortunate results have they've basically made them look a lot better than they actually are and as much as it pains me to say it, they did get what they would deserved or what's been coming for a while. Last weekend Everton tore them apart and it as you said it could have been a lot more convincing than it was. Sheffield United complete opposite end of the spectrum they're going to be brimming with confidence after their win against Arsenal the performance was good and another one where you probably have to look beyond the expected goal expected goals numbers um, at face value because I mean potentially a lease of a draw but the bulk of Arsenal's figures came from that Pepe chance that he missed um, so what's Infogol saying here is it going to be West Ham's poor run continues or can Sheffield United build on that big win against Arsenal? We're siding with West Ham on this one, you'd be pleased to know. Um, yeah, we're, we're 51% chance of West Ham getting the win. The market's around 46%. Um, but that is purely based on the fact that um, West Ham's rating over the last season and a half um, and Infogol's ratings has, has been pretty, you know, it's been mid- middle of the road, mid-table. Um, and they're, they're taking on a Sheffield United team that we're still figuring out in terms of a rating perspective. But yeah, you mentioned it there. West Ham were really poor against Everton. They were poor against Crystal Palace, poor against Bournemouth. So that result, those results have been, you know, deserved in a sense. I'm just going to pull you up on one. You said that Norwich have got the worst defence in the league. I can confirm it's West Ham that have got the worst defence in the league on expected goals. Um, they're allowing 2.12 expected goals against, which, like I said, is the worst in the Premier League. And it is something that has plagued West Ham for, well, uh, definitely in, in Pellegrini's era. Um, fortunately for them, they have got a, a decent attacking process, 1.45. So um, while that has gone quiet in recent weeks, um, over the course of the season, they have been you know, pr- steadily creating chances. 
he Pellegrini needs to tweak something for this game because what what he's been he's been working with the last three weeks hasn't hasn't been uh, doing the job. Whether he I don't know whether obviously Yamalenka didn't start because of, uh, of his international duty and he's been pretty pretty key for West Ham so far this season. Whether he comes straight back into the fold, whether he mixes it up a little bit in midfield, um, we'll have to wait and see. But this is this is you have to say a crucial game for West Ham. They've slowly fallen down the table. They're now. 11th, Sheffield United start the game above them in the table on, on goal difference. But if West Ham fail to get a win here um, and any one of, of the bottom three, maybe it's say Southampton get a win, then all of a sudden West Ham could be looking like being dragged into um, into the bottom half and, and a little bit of, a, of trouble looking over the shoulders. But um, fortunately for them, they play a Sheffield United side that while the process has been relatively good so far, um, away from home, it's been really poor um, Alarmingly so, like obviously in contrast to the results, because the results they've got on the road have been really good. Um, and you mentioned the the game against Arsenal; it was a tale of two big chances. You got Moussa's in the first, uh, you know, first up for Sheffield United, and Pepe's one was taken, one wasn't. Otherwise, you know, I think Pepe had a 71% chance of scoring um, from that um, from that opportunity. If he scores that one-one, it's a fair result. So. Um, but still, like you say, other than that, other than that, they limited Arsenal extremely well. And what was another dogged um, display from Chris Wilder's side? And like I said, it it pained me last week to to be siding with Sheffield United, but they um, they managed to get the job done for me and the majority of or half of Sheffield anyway. Um, but like I said, away from home, the results have been really impressive. Obviously, you think you, the win against Everton, you got a draw at Watford, uh, they went and drew at Chelsea as well. So they're, um, you know, the results-wise, they have things look really positive for for the Blades away from home. Uh, XG-wise, though, they're averaging 1.04 in attacks. They're not creating too much on the road. Uh, maybe a sign of Wilder being a little bit more cautious and trying to play more on the counter attack. Um, and they're allowing 1.77 expected goals against on the road. So uh, they're they're almost on the face of it two different teams um, home and away. So. West Ham will, you know, they've got a good chance of, of beating Sheffield United if, if that level of process continues into this game. Um, and Wilder does need to tinker with a few things if, if they are to improve their performances from recent away games. So, like I said beforehand, we're, we've got a bit of value in West Ham to get the win. Um, and they do need a win. Well, I must have blurred those expected goals against numbers out subconsciously, I think. But as you said, West Ham's attacking process, if that does return, then it's it's easy to see maybe why... Uh, a home win or, or even the over 2.5 might appeal to betters. Right, so Burnley versus Chelsea and nine games in, I think Sean Dyche is going to be very happy with how Burnley have performed this season. They've, they seem to have added more attacking threat to a team that's always been pretty solid at the back and their their current league position is it's a fair reflection of their performances, but they'll probably still be frustrated with how things went against Leicester at the weekend. As you said, one an XG, but also that that goal that was disallowed by VAR as well. Um, Chelsea, another team that are going to be happy with how things are going. Lampard obviously had his doubters at the start of the season, but I think he's shown some tactical flexibility in his team. At the start of the season, they could they could clearly create a lot of chances, but now they're also looking a lot better at the back. So I've personally got this one down as one of the highlight fixtures of the weekend in terms of the actual matchup. But what does the info goal model think here? Yeah, we've got this as a quite a, much tighter contest, uh, contest sorry, than uh, than what is being portrayed on the market. 
uh, Chelsea are on a 55% chance of getting the win. We've got them at closer to 43. So we're giving Burnley a much greater chance of getting something from this game than um, than the market is. You mentioned there that Burnley have been, you know, quietly impressive so far this season, defensively and um, offensively. They caused Leicester all sorts of problems last weekend, and like I said, they were unfortunate not to get at the very least a point from that game. Um, and Sean Dyche deserves, you know, a, a really a huge amount of credit for the work he's been doing there. Um, they sit ninth in our XG table, so it's not like they're doing a vintage Burnley and overperforming by a huge margin. They're getting the results they deserve. I think they sit eighth in the table, so they're, um, you know, they're where would be expected. They're one of only seven teams in the league to have a positive expected goal difference after nine games. So, you know, that says it all, really. Their, their process has been really impressive. They've got a positive expected goal difference, which is a huge indicator for a team that's heading in the right direction. Um, and, you know, they're more than capable of causing Chelsea serious problems here. You mentioned there Chelsea look like they've tightened things up a little bit. Um, I'll caveat that with at home. They're, so far, they're... I think they've only had two clean sheets. Both have come at home against Brighton and Newcastle. Away from home, they've you know they've conceded plenty of, uh, of goals. Um, obviously, got four against Manchester United, two against Norwich, two against Wolves, one against Southampton. So they you know while it looks like they've sorted things out, when as soon as they hit the travels, they uh, look a little bit leaky again. Uh, really impressive against Newcastle um, in that last home game. Really impressive against Brighton in the last home game against Southampton they were hugely flattered in the last away game uh, they're obviously on this winning run now which any side will tell you momentum's a great thing the underlying process is getting better week by week but Burnley are arguably probably one of the toughest um, oppositions you can face outside of a top six game uh, like I said beforehand we're giving Burnley a, a much greater chance of getting something from the game uh, 57% chance of getting something from the game and upsetting Chelsea uh, which obviously represents a huge deal of value compared to the 50% that's that's available. So, yeah, th- th- this could be a really tough game for, for Chelsea and Frank Lampard, um, and it could be a game we're expecting their winning run to come to an end. Yeah, potentially the market buying into that Chelsea form and Burnley's reputation maybe overhanging from, from previous seasons and people not actually looking into those underlying performances from the first nine games. Right, our next game is Newcastle versus Wolves, and I mean alarm bells have really got to be ringing at, at Newcastle. They've been, let's be honest, woeful in attack, um, pretty poor in defence as well. They weren't exactly scoring bagfuls of goals under Rafa Benitez, but they weren't really conceding many as well, and that's really what their success or their stability was built on before. Now they host a Wolves team who looked like they had turned the corner after two good wins, and obviously one of those was against Manchester City, but they were a bit disappointing against Southampton, so. Another interesting matchup. What does InfoGoal think for this one? Yeah, you mentioned there that things are looking a little bit bleak for Newcastle. Uh, I will add the caveat, though, that the schedule has been arguably the toughest in the Premier League. If you just think about the teams that they've played, obviously they had Chelsea last week, they had Manchester United the week before, they played Leicester, they played Liverpool, they played Tottenham, they played Arsenal. So that's six, six of their nine matches have come against teams that finished in the top eight last season. And now they've got another team that finished in the in the top eight last season. So, you know, they couldn't have asked for a tougher start to the season. Um, and that sort of that schedule and how difficult it's been has been reflected in their underlying underlying process, which has been the worst in the Premier League. 
So while everything that I'm, I'm going to say next has got the caveat of that they have been playing against the best teams in the league, sort of generated just 0.7 expected goals for. They've allowed 1.7 expected goals against. Like I said, they've, they've sit bottom in our XG table. Um, so, yeah, on the face of it, everything looks really, um, you know, it's look doom and gloom, Bruce out and all that. But when you look at the teams that they've faced, to have collected eight points from those, you know, nine games is actually a pretty decent return. And I'm I'm pretty sure that when it gets to Christmas and the, and the schedule sort of evens itself out and they play teams that have been in and around them. So, you know, the likes of you've got Villa to play, you've got Sheffield United to play, then you'll probably start seeing a truer reflection of what Newcastle are as a team. <clears throat> Obviously, when you go to a place like Chelsea, when you go to a place like Leicester, uh, when you go to Liverpool, you're going to set up in a completely different manner to when you're playing at home against a, um, you know, a, a, like I said, a Villa or a Sheffield United. So th- this is, you know, when you get past this game, things will start getting easier. But for this game, like I said, Wolves were top eight last season. They were fifth in our XG table. So this is yet another tough game for Newcastle. Um, and it'll be 10 games, 10 games into the season. Seven of the top eight from last season will have been ticked off already. So everything that I've just said there about the process being poor because of the schedule, it's likely to stay poor because this game is also against a really tough opponent. Wolves, we're slightly fortunate against Southampton to get the point. They had obviously had two goals ruled out for um, by VAR. Uh, but other than the penalty that they scored, they really struggled to create, which is a bit of a surprise from what we've seen in previous uh, weeks. Obviously, they went, uh, went to Manchester City and won, which is a highlight win. Uh, they were pretty good against Watford. They were good against Crystal Palace. So their underlying process has been slow, steadily improving. They're at 1.41 expected goals for, so they're creating good chances. You know, Raul Jimenez looks an absolute handful yet again this season. And we think they're going to have a little bit too much quality for Newcastle. Um, and this is also an interesting matchup. Obviously, I think it's on TV this game. It is quite an interesting matchup because you've got uh, Wolves, who naturally play a three, a three at the back or, or a five at the back, whatever you want to call it, with the, you know, the wing-backs providing the, the width. Um, playing against a Newcastle side who have been almost shoehorned into this back five by Steve Bruce as the best way to sort of keep out the best teams. And this is either going to stifle Wolves or it's going to play right into the hands because Wolves know the system better than Newcastle will know the system, um, which I, I personally think is a big tick in Wolves' favour to get the win here. Um, and we are quite a bit of value on, on back, in backing Wolves. We're 44% chance of, of, of an away victory compared to around 37% on the market. So, um, yeah, Newcastle struggles to continue, Wolves to continue to climb. Yeah, and I think the worry for Newcastle has got to be those those games where they are playing teams that they would be expected to be. I mean, like Brighton, Watford, Norwich, they've, they haven't managed to get much out of those games either. And it's really, when you're, when you're down there in the table, you've got to get results and, and put in performances against those teams. But... Certainly for this one, looks like they're going to try and keep it tight again. And the, the goals mark is on two here with uh, the over just about seeing more of the action. So, like you said, interesting one. And we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, like you said, you know, they've, they've only got picked up two points from those three games against Brighton, Watford and Norwich. But they've beaten Manchester United and they've beaten Tottenham. So it's sort of evened itself out as to, you know, they, they probably would have expected to have beaten Brighton and beaten Watford and maybe picked up the odd point against um, United or Tottenham so it sort of flips around um, getting unexpected wins rather than expected ones but um, I think that you know that if they lose this game 
they'll still be in a pretty good place, I think, to, to survive this season. Right, so next up we've got Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. I'm going to start this one by saying this is a completely subjective podcast. We're, we're numbers driven. Um, jokes aside, like that, I do feel bad for the Arsenal fans. We, we're continuously highlighting their inadequacies on here. But as I said, we're only pointing out what's actually there. It was another poor performance against Sheffield United. You mentioned the, the Pepe chance. It was 0.71 of their 1.17 XG. And similar story with Sheffield United. The big difference being, as you said, Moussa actually converted his chance. The problems for Arsenal, they really stretch beyond that one game, though, and they need to get things sorted and pretty quickly. Um, Palace, meanwhile, they've been they've been getting a lot of plaudits, but they've actually been pretty fortunate this season. I think expected points-wise, they're, they're well below kind of mid-table-wise. Um, they actually sit in sixth place in the league, so it looks like an opportunity potentially for Arsenal to put in a good performance, but... Does Enfogol think there's any value in them getting it done? Um, not at all, no. Like you said, this is a completely subjective pod. Um, and it's just it's not our fault that Arsenal's underlying numbers are really bad. Um, and they have been for a, a really long time. Um, in fact, their, their underlying numbers are, are worse than, than when Arsene Wenger left, um, left the Gunners. So on the face of it, Unai Emery has taken Arsenal backwards. And, you know, if... If no one told you who was in the dugout in the game against Sheffield United, you would have probably guessed Wenger because it was a sort of Wenger-esque away performance where Arsenal continue to have a soft underbelly. They they get bullied, they get um, bounced around the pitch, they get outworked and outfought, and and that's ultimately what happened. And and Arsenal just ran out of ideas. He would just lack so much creativity. Mesut Ozil sat in the Arsenal training ground watching it, having a little laugh to himself, um, not included in the squad. Um, really worrying times. Obviously, they came into that game with you know quite a lot of hope and belief. They win the game, they go third in the table, um, which would have been extraordinary at this stage of the season, given what we've seen so far. Uh, but they've been brought straight right back down to earth by um, by a dogged Sheffield United side. Um, now they face a Crystal Palace side that are as dogged, but have arguably more quality on on the counter attack to hurt them. So, um, you know, <laughs> the fact that they're priced up at 65% on the market is for me way too short way too short for the, against this Crystal Palace team from what we've seen so far like I said the process is absolutely terrible Going in attack it's 1.57 which is not bad but when you look at teams like Chelsea at 2.11 obviously Liverpool at 2.05 City at 3.1 Spurs are at about 1.5 and they're struggling that's really low for a, a team like Arsenal who have you know, you've got Aubameyang, you've got Lacazette, Pepe, you've just spent £70 million on him and he's missing six-yard sitters. It's, um, you know, that's a really low total for an Arsenal team and we expect so much more from them. Uh, defensively, we expect not much from them. Um, you know, the signing of David Luiz looks to have done what everyone expected it to do and, and not improved Arsenal's defence. They're allowing 1.65 expected goals against, which is, you know, bottom half of the Premier League table in terms of XGA. They, they don't look solid at all. They look easily gettable. And they will concede chances on a regular basis. And, and that's what we've seen throughout the start of this season. As for Crystal Palace, like you said, they, they, they've overperformed so far this season. They've been, they're a little bit fortunate to, to be where they are in the table. They were absolutely thumped by Manchester City last time out. But prior to that, they had a really impressive uh, win over West Ham, uh, sorry, against Norwich, and then a really impressive win against West Ham. 
uh, creating good chances on, on both occasions. They, they went to our, um, to Tottenham, obviously just down the road from Arsenal, and, and put in a, a good performance on XG and were unlucky not to be uh, not unlucky to lose so heavily rather. And they are a team that perform best when they are away from home against the big six team and they can hit teams on the counter attack like we saw against Manchester United earlier on in the season. So this is a huge banana skin for Arsenal. Um, made even more so by the fact that Wilfred Zaha looks like he's he's back in in top form. He was he was awesome against West Ham um, and against Norwich, beating players for fun. And I think that that is a that is a you know an obvious tactic to beat this Arsenal team is just to be direct and run at them um, because defensively they are really bad. I, I would fancy Zaha against any of Arsenal's back four that they put out to cause them serious problems. Like I said, I'm surprised that Arsenal are so short for this game. Unsurprisingly, we are giving Crystal Palace a much bigger chance of getting something from the game than Arsenal. So the value bet in this one is to back Crystal Palace or the draw. And I think, was it last season that the, they won 3-2 there at the Emirates, Crystal Palace? Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, the similar sort of performance. High scoring, end-to-end, plenty of chances. Um, with Crystal Palace providing a, a you know a huge counter-attacking threat, and in that game, I've just got it up now. In that game, they uh, Crystal Palace actually won the XG battle. So, you know, they, they've got previous. They they love going away to a top six team, like I said, um, and I just can't be back in Arsenal to win any game at the moment. Yeah, you have to wonder that 66% on the market, how reflective that is of their their actual performances this season, but. The market's certainly buying into goals. We've got over 3 and 3.5 is the one that, that betters are on for this match. Right, now we've got Liverpool versus Tottenham, one that jumps out as the, the highlight fixture of the weekend. Liverpool still obviously unbeaten. They, I'll say, salvaged a draw, but they were actually pretty good value for it. Um, they probably went from their best performance of the season against Leicester to what is one of their worst against Manchester United. Um, they are playing Tottenham, whose woes continue. Um, they've got a draw against Rock, Watford, who are rock bottom. Um, plenty of shots. I think you said earlier that Deli Ali's goal was only the real chance of note for them, though. They looked a little bit better at the back than previous games, but we've got to remember this is a home game against a team that hasn't actually won a game this season. So go back to the start of the season, and this would have been down as a difficult one to call, but I don't know if it's not so much now. What does Infogol think of it? Yeah, we've got Liverpool strong favourites as the market does. There isn't too much value in the 1x2. There were 62%. I think the market's around 63, 64. Um, so, yeah, we're, obviously Liverpool's underlying numbers and their their rating is off the charts. They are, them and Manchester City are just in a different league to everyone else. And, and Tottenham's, Tottenham's underlying rating um, on Infogol's numbers has bottomed out since 17, 18. They were... You know, our title contender arguably for most of 17, 18, and ever since then their underlying process has just got worse and worse. Um, and just at the start of this season, you know, their, their XGA rolling average has just overtaken their XGF. So it's getting to a point now where Tottenham's struggles, if they continue playing the way they are, their struggles will not be remedied. They will continue to find things uh, find it really difficult to get results. Um, and this is a big game for Liverpool, obviously coming off the first drop points against Manchester United last week, looking to get back to winning ways and, and to uh, we're expecting Manchester City to beat Villa. So to, to maintain that six point lead at the top of the Premier League, I thought they were they were OK against Manchester United last week. 
they struggle to break Manchester United down, but that's always going to be difficult when you when you're playing against a team uh, like Manchester United. You have good defenders, and they were playing a back five within the width of the 18-yard box. So, you know, the only the only outlet they've got there is to is to put the ball wide and cross it, to which Harry Maguire usually gets his head on most things. Um, and it was only until you know the the the, the goal late on was the, the first time where one of the one of the wide players had a bit of time to cross it. So. While that goes down as a really poor attacking display for Liverpool, um, I think Manchester United deserve credit for holding them to to what 1.25 expected goals, and Liverpool's defence deserves credit as well. Obviously, they were, you know, if you take Rashford's chance out of it, they allowed just 0.3 expected goals against, and even Rashford's chance was was you know one of the big debates of the weekend, wasn't it? Was it a foul? Wasn't it a foul? Um, should VAR have overturned it? So you know, it was questionable as to whether it should have been given anyway, but. Even so, they you know they limited Manchester United very well in what I would consider a really strong defensive performance. Yet again, following up from the Leicester game in which they allowed just 0.1, so it looks as though their back line is back to its you know its strengths from last season, and it looks settled now. Matip's back in the picture, Allison's back in the picture, um, so they are looking stronger now than what they were at the start of the season. Obviously the the big miss for the United game was Mohamed Salah. If he comes back into this game, then I do fear for Tottenham. I think it could be a really um, heavy beatdown that Liverpool uh, put on Tottenham. Because, you know, going forward, they've, they've not had any issues in attack so far this season. They're over two expected goals for. Um, and they are, like I said beforehand, them and Manchester City are streets clear of everyone else. Um, and I'm expecting them to showcase that to um, to the world once again this weekend Spurs are in a really sticky situation right now like I mentioned their underlying process has been really poor this season they are 11th in our expected goals table they have a negative expected goal difference defensively they're allowing 1.5 expected goals against so they are a really vulnerable team we saw how easy it was for Watford to carve them open at the weekend um, you know, they, it was literally just two long balls down the right, down, in between the centre half and the left back, and you know, uh, Watford were away. And if Salah's fit, then he should have a field day with those sorts of balls playing off the right hand side. Uh, like I said, there's not too much value in the in the one x two market, and instead we're looking at uh, both teams to score no. We're a 51% chance of both teams to score no, and the market is around 50. 455% I think so there's a decent bit of value there and I, I, I think Tottenham have looked so toothless this season um, that they can really struggle to score against what is looking like a formidable Liverpool defence once again I mean if you just list off Tottenham's last four Premier League attacking um, attacking XG figures you're 1.29 1.29 0.4 1.13 that isn't the attacking process of a team that would that are expected to finish in the top four, maybe even top six. So there's some serious troubles. Um, another defeat here. Pochettino comes under even more pressure. I do worry for them in this game. I think, like I said, they could take a serious beat down. I think the golfing class is, is is just huge. Tottenham really need to be on their A game if they're to get anything from the game. Um, but I think the, the the selection is to back against both teams scoring. Um, and perhaps even if you want to stretch it and get a bigger price, go Liverpool to win to nil, which I think um, is highly likely given what we've seen from both teams. 
Yeah, and if you just look at the the two one x two markets from our previous game, Arsenal versus Crystal Palace and the Liverpool versus Tottenham, it's it's nigh on identical. And if you just said to someone at the start of the season that Tottenham have as much chance of beating Liverpool away as Palace do beating Arsenal away, I mean, I don't think it tells you that much about the Arsenal game, but it certainly tells you a lot about how different the start of the season's been for for both Liverpool and Tottenham. For sure, yeah. I think I think if this game was played on match day one. You probably have Liverpool at even money favourites, 50%, Spurs maybe 25% and the draw 25 So um, it shows you just how bad Tottenham have been. Um, and, you know, the, the market is fully bought into into the fact that Tottenham are performing really poorly, uh, which is why we're seeing such a short price on Liverpool. All right, so our final game is Norwich City versus Manchester United. And one of the big problems for Norwich this season has been the amount of chances they give up at the back. Um they're now, I know, not the the worst defence in the league, but near enough to it. Um, that defensive process obviously improves slightly against the Bournemouth team who normally look strong in attack. I think they need to continue those efforts while also maintaining that attacking threat that we saw early in the season if they're going to avoid relegation. And then their opponents, United, as we said, started kind of well against Liverpool, set up well tactically, but they just couldn't keep up that level of performance for 90 minutes. Liverpool certainly finished stronger and maybe deserved more than the draw. Um, despite some poor results, Manchester United have put in some decent performances this season. If they if they get that that attacking process sorted and they keep keep stable at the back like they have been, there's still that that potential push for the top four spot. So, is there any value on offer here? On here, do you think a tiny amount of value? Yeah. Like you mentioned, the United have been a little bit unfortunate with their results so far this season. The performances have warranted more over the um, over the course of the nine games so far. We're 54% chance of a United win. I think the market's around 53, maybe even 54. So you're looking at either a small amount of value or none at all in the 1x2 market. Uh, Norwich are, they're struggling now. They, you know, they had obviously the massive high beat in Manchester City and since then it's all just called come crumbling down. Defeats against Burnley, Palace, Villa, teams that, well, especially one team, Villa, that you'd expect to be in and around them come the end of the season. Um, the draw against Bournemouth was a, uh, will have been a pleasant surprise for, for Daniel Farke, especially the defensive process in, in which they conceded few chances. That was the best defensive performance of the season by a long, long way. Um, more of the same, and they're likely to slowly start picking more points. It's, yeah, it just became un- unsustainable the way they were playing before the uh, the last international break, which was it was basically like basketball: you attack, we attack. Um, chances at both ends, and, and you know, if if you get high, sc- if you get a games with loads of chances at either end, you know, while you might win a couple, you're likely to lose quite a few as well because you're giving the op- uh, the opposition plenty of chances. And um, it will have been a pleasant surprise for Norwich fans to to see a nil nil. I don't think they've seen a nil nil for a long time. Uh, Despite that, they are second worst team on expected goals this season. They're still averaging up and around two expected goals against, so they are a, a, a gettable defensive unit. It was still a makeshift defence as well, given all the injuries that they you know, that they've suffered, which is obviously out of everyone's control. But um, you know, they're, they're patching together a defence, and, and fortunately for them, it worked against Bournemouth. Um, and also fortunately for them, they're coming up against the United side that you mentioned there that are really have been really blunt so far this season. They've struggled greatly um, in attack. 
that continued against Liverpool. Obviously, they got the goal and then they tried to sit on it. They didn't they didn't offer too much on a counter-attacking threat, which will have been a huge um, disappointment for everyone at Old Trafford watching it with the Manchester United scarves on it. it was, you felt like the game was almost there for United to just step on the gas a little bit. Liverpool was sort of dwelling on the ball. They were not doing too much in terms of progressing the ball. It was comfortable and you just thought, go get a second goal and, and this game's won. And you, get, you got the feeling that they were getting a little bit tired United. They were doing a lot of chasing around, doing a lot of shuffling left and right. Um, and I think that's what ultimately cost them in the end, elapsing concentration. But nonetheless, if you told United that they would get a point at the start of the game, I'm pretty sure they would have taken it. Um, you mentioned the defensive process has been really strong. They're, they've got the best defence in the Premier League according to expected goals. They're allowing less than one expected goals against, which is, they are the only team that are doing that, for which Solskjaer deserves a lot of credit. Um, and I don't know if you watched the Super Sunday and the debate afterwards with Keane, Souness and Neville, and they were talking about the fact that they've not bought a striker, the fact that they've, you know, they're Man United, they can go and sign who they want. And I think Roy Keane just said, yeah, go buy Harry Kane, because it's that easy. But I would say that what we've seen so far is... Um, I've been really impressed with the recruitment. Obviously, they've had three years under Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho, maybe even longer than three years now, actually, for which they just threw money at players, hoping that one of them would turn out pretty good. And this summer, they've sort of done what Liverpool did last summer. They've selected areas of the pitch where they needed to improve, and they went and bought the right player. Liverpool bought Van Dijk, they bought Alisson, they bought Fabinho. United went and bought Maguire, they bought Wan-Bissaka, they bought Dan James. So that, for me, is a huge positive moving forward. And I think in either the next transfer window or the transfer window after they'll finish the project, they'll bring in the right wingers, the right midfielders, the right strikers, whatever they need um, uh, to improve this team. But for the moment, they're a team that are really struggling to create chances. They're struggling to score goals. Uh, if Pogba's out injured, then that is you know a huge negative as he's the most creative midfielder. Martial coming back to fitness is a huge positive, obviously. It gives them a bit more... Uh, a few more options up front, a bit more dynamic in attack. But unsurprisingly, we're looking at the under two and a half goals again in this game. I think that, um, yes, especially in Manchester United's last four Premier League games have all featured under two and a half goals. You've got a 1-1, a 1-0, a 1-1 and a 2-0. So um, we haven't seen too many high-scoring Manchester United games, um, partly due to the fact that defence has been so good um, and also that their attack has been so so poor. They're averaging just 1.12 non-penalty expected goals, which is arguably, I think I think it's down there in the bottom three of the Premier League. So their, their struggles in attack are real. Um, we're 50-50 on over and unders. So obviously the value play here is to go under two and a half, which is around a 54% chance. I think we'll have to put you in front of some United fans, Jake. They all seem to think it's doom and gloom. <laughs> Long-term thinking, you know, it, these sorts of things, it's not a quick fix. You look at Guardiola and he's been building that team for three years at, at Manchester City. Klopp's done the same at Liverpool. It's taken him three years, six transfer windows to get a team where he wants it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just patience. You can't, you can't live like a Real Madrid where you just go out and buy, spend £60 million on a player every week, uh, every transfer window. Um, so, yeah, the, the, you know, I've seen a, f- a few positives. You've got to look at the positives, haven't you? If you've, you're negative all the time. Um, your life's not going to be very good, is it? 
Well, that is our 10 games done, and thanks again for coming on, Jake. Some great insight there from beyond the fixtures to, to the running of a football club, and I'm sure everything's helped our listeners, so so really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm a uh, Swiss Army knife when it comes to football. <laughs> Um, thanks everyone for listening if you do want to find out more about InfoGold then head to InfoGold.net follow at InfoGold app on Twitter and you can download the app on Apple and Android the latest odds for all the weekend's Premier League fixtures are available on Pinnacle.com best of luck with your bets and remember to please gamble responsibly